Okay, the countdown has reached zero, so it's time. Oh, it's going to start again. No, it's not. Okay. So the countdown's reached zero. It's time to start. Great to have you here today. We have just had a great weekend here. We had a cell um, and leader retreat this uh, on Friday and Saturday. Just a great time. I thought I'd share a little bit of that with you, what happened during that, which was fantastic. But first of all, I want to welcome you. If you're new here, I'm Dan. I'm the lead pastor. Um, and if you... If you can, we've got a, a site called mylcc.info, mylcc.info. Um, there is a, a button on there that says newish, and we would love to just get to know you and hear from you. So go on there and uh, fill that out. Okay, so the retreat yesterday, we, we had a, a time to reflect on Jesus's um, last words to his disciples, to his followers before he went to the cross, before he rose again. And we, we had time to sit in those words and to really hear uh, what Jesus intended for life for his followers after he was gone. And so we unpacked some of those things. I thought I'd share some things that we, we learned together during that time. One is that Jesus gave his followers a new command uh, for them to love one another as he has loved them. And he gave them this example of washing their feet in John 13 of serving them, and he said, do this for each other. And so to love and to serve one another means not only to, to do that for someone else, but to allow someone else to do that for you as well. That's what it means. That's how he intended us to live life together. He also, we also unpacked Jesus's words throughout that discourse that talked about God's love for us and that God loves us, period. But the, the love that we experience with him is directly tied to us living out his command to love one another. Jesus says, if you love one another, you'll stay close to my loving heart. And so that is just directly linked. We experience the Father's love when we love one another. So you can't, you can't separate out the fact that we were meant to live in relationship as followers of Jesus together. We're not meant to be isolated and to be off on a hill somewhere just with our Bible, just being with Jesus. We were meant to live life together. That's how we experience the Father's love. So I just want to uh, encourage you this, as we go into this next season, uh, finishing the summer, going into fall, stay connected with people in community. We've got groups around here. We talk about it all the time. I just challenge you to take a step towards community. We have groups that meet throughout the week. Here's two opportunities, Thursday night. Dean and Amber Baumgartner uh, host a group on Thursday nights. They'd love to have you be a part of that. A great group of people. Um, on Wednesday nights, this is a little more targeted and specific. Michael and Stephanie Schroer, they've started a, a new group for young families, young marriages. So I, those are just two opportunities. We'll be sharing more of those as time goes on. Okay, one other thing. You want to make a difference right now. You, you know, a tangible difference. We partner with a uh, ministry in Honduras. It's a family called the Sours. And we are preparing backpacks right now to send to them so that these kids can go to school, okay? It's that dire. They have these backpacks, they're able to go to school. So we have people in this body, many who sponsor kids, they sponsor them monthly. But I'm talking to, to those people and I'm talking to anyone, whether you sponsor a kid or not, you can pick up a backpack today and take it home and fill it up bring it back, and you can have a direct impact in a kid being able to go and experience school in Honduras. It's that 
important. If they don't have the backpacks, they don't go to school. That's how it is. It provides the materials for them. So that's another uh, opportunity to, to directly make an impact. So um, I'm going to pray real quick, and then I'm just going to ask you to stand in a second, and we'll, we'll worship. God, we thank you for your love for us. Um, we thank you that it is perfect that you have made a way for us to, to be made right with you through the cross and through your resurrection. And we come, God, just marveling at the fact that we, we have the opportunity to be forgiven. For those of us who've trusted in you, we, we share this bond that, that, I mean, how can we even, what can we do for what you've done for us? How can we even express it, God? And so we wanna worship you together. God, help us as we do that, to, to do it together, to love each other, to move towards one another, even in this time together and after the service, and live out what you have asked us to do, the new command, to love each other as you've loved us. So we worship you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, I pray that we believe those words. It's been a year of scary times and firsts and not to mention just the normal everyday life that happens. I pray that whatever you're fearing, whatever you're worrying, that you would know that you can call on his name and just rest it on him. You don't have to take care of it. You don't have to have it on your shoulder. He loves us enough. He'll do that for us. I pray that we can lay whatever we have aside, clear our minds, open our hearts, and accept his word today. Amen. Amen. Thanks. I'm so glad you're with us. If um, Dan introduced himself, my name is Tom. Um, I am our teaching pastor here at Life Community, and um, but I'm, I'm part of a team. We, we share a lot in our teaching here, and even this week, just the joy, and we met together as a team with a team of people, and, and I'm, I'm here to share with you sort of what is birthed out of, of meaningful conversation around the Word of God. And we're in this series that we're calling By Faith. <clears throat> by Faith. We started this last week, and um, we're calling it By Faith because in, in, in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, towards the end of the New Testament, in chapter 11 of Hebrews, there's this sort of roster of people from what we would call the Old Testament, what they would have just called at that point in time probably like the Bible, um, their Bible, these people who, who lived, they did things by faith. That was, it was faith that drove them, faith that motivated them. They responded to, their, to, to God in faith in different ways. And we started last week by just asking two questions, by asking two questions. And these questions are going to be anchors for us as we go through this series. We're going to come back to them over and over again. And the two questions are this, what is faith and how is faith lived? What is faith? And how is faith lived? There's, these are critical questions. We spent time last week we're looking at the scriptures where it just says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. We, can't, we cannot come to him without faith. We talked last week about believing in, 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 in that everything that exists came from God. And we're going to take, because these are, these, are, these are important questions, but they don't have just always simple, direct answers and the author of Hebrews recognized that they gave, the, the, the writer gave so many examples, so many examples that we're going to take um, over four months, actually, and we look at it. We're going to 
four months from now we're gonna be, is when we're going to be actually wrapping this up. So we're going to take our time. We're going to walk slowly through this, a little bit at a time <clears throat> through Hebrews chapter 11, looking at what does it mean to have faith? What is it? And how do we live it? Case by case, step by step. And it began here, just to, to re- refresh our memories. <clears throat> Excuse me. It began here in, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, by faith, the people of old received their commendation, their reward. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. The very first step of faith. The very first thing we find out, that faith is assurance and conviction. There's, there's an assurance of faith, that, that we live as if something is true, even though we may not be able to verify it in the typical ways we verify things. It's assurance and conviction that God is. It begins with that. It assumes that God is, and that everything <clears throat> that, we, that we have in life, everything has come from him. That's where we start. That's our starting point. And now the author's going to run through this roster of, of people who believe those things, and based on that belief, it caused them to, to go in particular directions. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in two places, Hebrews 11 for a moment, and then we're going to be in the beginning of our Bibles in Genesis 4. <clears throat> we can start in Hebrews 11, verse 4. It says this, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts, Abel's gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Okay? So the first person <clears throat> that enters the story that, that, that the author of Hebrews is going to lay out here in, in chapter 11 is, is this person Abel. Abel, who was commended as righteous. He was his, his gifts. Now, the story of, of Abel is, is most often probably told as the story of Cain and Abel, and Cain appears there. Um, and so we're going to look at that story in Genesis chapter 4. And again, if you, if you have a Bible, great. It would, you can turn there. It'll be on the screen for you as well. But Genesis chapter 4. In Genesis chapter 4, we, this, is, this is like right after. I mean, we have creation, <clears throat> the creation account in Genesis 1, 2. We have, we have the, 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 the uh, a sin enters in Genesis chapter 3. And then this is Genesis chapter 4. So immediately in the story, in the story of God's people, immediately following that sin enters through through Adam and Eve, that sin enters, um, this is the very next story, and there's consequences for that sin. This is the very next story. So read it with me. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1 says, Now Adam knew his wife, knew Eve, his wife, and they conceived and bore Cain. I hope they knew He knew her. Sorry, that's terrible. Uh, Adam knew his wife, Eve, his wife, and and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. Okay? So we have these two, these two brothers. <clears throat> we have these two brothers. And we find out that, that, that Cain grows things out of the, out of the ground. He's, he, he's a gardener. Okay? 
And we find out that Abel is a shepherd. He, he keeps the sheep, right? And so they each have the product of their work. They each have the product of their work. And, and then there's a phrase to me that in this story is going to be really important to us. It's right there at the beginning of, of verse 3. Okay? It's right there at the beginning of verse 3, and it says, in the course of time. Okay? In the course of time. I think in the course of time is a really interesting phrase in this because this isn't like, hey, there's a, there's a point of demarcation, something significant happened, and this is the result of that. This is just in the course of time. Hey, along the way, or, you know, once upon a time, okay, there was just like, this is what was happening. You had, you had these two brothers, one a shepherd, one a gardener, and along the, the, you know, on some random day, out of nowhere, in the course of time, Cain brings the fruit of the ground, and Abel brings, it says, <clears throat> the firstborn of his flock and the fat portion. Now, there's a lot to read into this, and, and with, you know, if, if, if we were doing a series on Cain and Abel, we'd probably have to spend some time on, on some of these things in more depth and more detail. But here's, here's our understanding. When, when, the, when the book of Genesis was, was written, when it was given through the inspiration of the Lord, that there was a sacrificial system in place. There were rules, okay? If you kind of want to read those rules about this, have fun. Leviticus chapters 3 and 4. Um, explain, like, kind of, hey, here's what you're supposed to do. And it's why it's important that, that Abel has brought, he's brought the firstborn of his flock, and he's brought, that word fat there is important, okay? Because the fat of the animal was really important in the sacrificial system. And so, so those reading Genesis here, they, can, they probably read into it in ways with their context of the Lord's, like, giving them that law in ways that, that we probably don't, okay? But here's what we can know without reading anything into it, right? Because it tells us at face value that what Abel gave, God had regard for that, right? God had regard for, what Abel, for Abel's offering, but Cain's offering was dismissed, it was dismissed, and this made Cain angry, okay? This made Cain angry. Keep reading, verse 6. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know, am I my brother's keeper? That phrase, am I my brother's keeper, it's, that's a biblical one, right? Sometimes we, we say things that we think are in the Bible. That one's in the Bible. Am I my brother's keeper? But by the way, that is some next-level passive-aggressive behavior. <laughs> Isn't it? Like, it's, and who does that to God? Am I my brother's keeper? But, but here, so here's this next piece of the story, and there's these turning points. There's these turning points. But it's in this section that, obviously, Abel is dead. He's killed. He exits the, the story at this point because his brother took his life. And Cain had these opportunities to turn away from it, to turn away from what he'd done. Um, obviously, when he's confronted with the, the, the gift, he had a chance to, to, to repent of, of not doing the right thing, and he, he doesn't. He's warned that sin is lurking, it's crouching, it's, it's very close by, that imagery ready to pounce. He obviously, with Abel in the field, he didn't have to take his life, but he did, and then he has this defiance with God. 
when God says, where is your brother? There's echoes of the very chapter before in Genesis 3, right? There's going to be more of them. Keep reading verse 10. And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Keep reading. Verse 13, Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, uh, uh, you have driven me today away from the ground. From, from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And whoever finds me will kill me. Notice what Cain added there. The sentence at that point wasn't death. Cain assumed it. Then the Lord said to him, no, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. It's this story, right? That, that, and, and, and again, we kind of, we, we have reflections in this story of Genesis chapter 3. The ground is no longer going to produce for you. You have to move from where you're, from your home. You're, you're going to be in exile from your home. It's like the story of Genesis chapter 3, the, the, the consequences of sin uh, 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 for, for Adam and Eve are retold here in what's happened with Cain. Okay? We see it in, in, a, in an individual's life. And so there's this story of Cain and Abel, and the story of Cain and Abel kind of plays out in, in three acts, right? Like if we just think about a three-act play, to do this quickly, like there's the offerings, right? They each go make their offerings. One's acceptable, one isn't. That sets the stage. That's the beginning of the story. The second is the murder, right? Cain's up, Cain is upset with his brother, and, and he ta- he, but because he hasn't done the right thing, he responds and he takes Abel's life. And then there's this third act, the exile, okay? The exile. But something interesting, you know, the, the story that we just read in Genesis chapter 4 is focused on, it really is focused on the story of Cain, isn't it? This is Cain's story. Abel doesn't get a chance to speak. Abel doesn't get a chance to plead his case. What Abel's done, we're, is we just are just told he did the right thing, and it was credited to him as righteousness. He was, he was commended for it. But in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, look at how it's turned. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. I'd like to propose that this morning, not going to propose, I, I, I have the microphone, we're going to talk about the offerings, right? Because in Hebrews chapter 11, it's not about what Cain did, it's about what Abel did. Abel is the model for us to follow. It's not, don't be like Cain, it is, be like Abel. You catch that? And so we're going to focus on Act 1 in the story. We're going to focus on the offerings. We're going to focus on what, what Abel did and how it was lived out. In fact, I would propose that maybe we should change this, the title of the story from the Cain and Abel story to the Abel and Cain story. Plus, it works better alphabetically, right? For my friends in the room who care about such things. But it's Abel that gets remembered, and yet we know so little about him. And the thing that, I want to come back to this, the thing that, before we take next steps, this is just in the course of time in Abel's life. It was just in the course of time. You know, there's some moments you know they're going to be big before they happen, right? Like the butterflies we get before we walk down the aisle or 
that feeling of, oh, no, when the child is delivered and you go like, oh, goodness, this changes everything. And then there's just sort of like those sliding doors moments. Like, what if that tiny little thing had been different? What if, what if on that day I had gone to the place and done the thing? You know, we hear stories in, in, of folks like that in major historical moments, people who, who missed their flight on September 11th, right? About, about people who just, in, in, in passing, they just missed the, the life-altering, life-changing thing. We, we sort of know that in the course of time, there's all these moments that matter. And this, in, in, in the story of Abel, this is kind of one of those things where I don't know that he was waiting for it and looking for it. There was no sort of, like, kit to prepare him for it. But, but just in the course of time, in the course of time, Abel brought a gift to God. It just was part of his regular life. You know, from, from the outset, it doesn't seem like that big a deal, the, the bringing of this gift, the bringing of this offering to God. But it was, in hindsight, enormous. It, 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 it's, it's the able story. We're thinking about the kind of faith that's just lived. It's not the sort of thing, again, where we ready ourselves. It's not the sort of thing where we take up a lot of preparation for it. It's the, it's the moments of faith that are just lived in a day-to-day -day basis. And that's the story of Abel. And so what makes Abel's gift better than Cain's? We hit on this already, right, a little bit. But, but, but one of the things that made Abel's gift better was that he brought the right stuff. It's what he brought. Now, we have to fill in some gaps. There's no doubt about this because um, the fact of the matter is that, that in the telling of the Genesis story, there's no indication when God told them, here's what needs to be brought as an offering. It's not in the Genesis story. So we don't know, okay? We don't know. But what we do know is that along the way, somehow, Abel knew to bring a certain thing. Now, it's not it doesn't necessarily mean it doesn't necessarily mean that Cain brought the wrong stuff. But if we if you we look back at, at Genesis chapter four and catch this, remember what it said. It says that Cain brought some of his fruits, some of his fruit, and it goes out of its way to tell us that that Abel brought the first fruits, the firstborn, and the fat, the good stuff. He brought the best. So even though we're not sure when it was told to them, with hindsight, we can look and understand that there was an acknowledgement that the first and the fat was what was to be brought to God. It wasn't supposed to be like, hey, I've got this that I can hand over. It was, what's the best that I have? What's the best that I have that I can give to God, that I can bring to him? And this is where sort of um, this topic of faith meets the reality of religion, okay? It's where faith meets the reality of religion. It, it's tempting to sever the two things. It's tempting to, for us to say that faith and religion are two separate things. But here's what we find. We find Abel, who was living out a practice— of his faith that we would call a religious practice. He was bringing his offerings, but he did it in a way that God credited to him because of his faith. 
It's tempting for us to say, I don't need religion, I have faith. I don't need the practices, I have faith. But that's not the reality, A, of the world we live in, nor B, of the reality of the world that, that we're presented with in the scriptures. The, that that our, the practice of our faith is so enmeshed with the, the living of our faith and what we believe that we can't pull them apart. And so Abel does this. He, he, he produces the right practice because of the faith that he had. He did the right thing because of the faith that he had. But Cain kind of goes through the motions. Cain, Cain made an offering. He brought an offering. But what we know with hindsight is that he had religious practice without the faith. You catch that? If we have the faith, the, religion, the religious practice, the right religious practice ought to follow. But it's possible that the reverse is not necessarily true. I might participate in the religious practice, but not really have the faith. That's an important distinction for us. And it's a distinction that, it, that occurs all throughout the scriptures. Um, in, in, in 1 Samuel, after this is after David had been anointed as king and different things were happening, but King Saul had, had won a major victory and he, he brings the spoils of war um, back and he was told to like wipe everything out, but he kept some of it. He was told by God explicitly, wipe it all out, but he kept some of it. And he's approached by the, the, the prophet Samuel that comes to him and says like, hey, what's, I, hear, I hear like some cattle over here and you were supposed to wipe all that out, okay? And, and Saul says, he says, look, I did it for religious reasons. I didn't follow through on what I was told to do by God. I didn't do it because I had religious reasons. I was, I'm gonna sacrifice that stuff to God. Probably not what he really was gonna do, but it was a few years ago, so maybe I, we missed his motives, maybe. But, but it seems like he was gonna keep it for himself and now he's caught and so he tries to use like a religious excuse, okay? And then this fascinating thing is said by Samuel. Look at this. This is 1 Samuel chapter 15. This is verse 22. Samuel said, Has the Lord a great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? As great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices. As in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, he says, To obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. So catch this. You ready? This is, this is sort of what he says. Look, yeah, Sacrifice is sacrifice. And God has, had, at this point in time, like, you've, you need to do this. And, and there's, there's the fat of rams, the fat of the lamb. Th that's involved. That's part of it. But it's not the point. Okay? The religious thing is not the point. The heart is the point. And, and our faith is expressed in the obedience to what God's told us to do. In this case, you've got cattle, Saul, You've got cattle to, to sacrifice. You don't need the cattle you were told to wipe out in order to sacrifice unless you're trying to hoard your own and take from someone else to satisfy the religious requirement. How often do we do this? I mean, how often do we do this? How often do we say, like, I know that I should be doing something for God, but here's what I'm going to do. Instead of rather just saying yes to it, I'm going to reconfigure my life in such a way that I, I, don't have to, I don't have to give, I don't have to offer out of my time or my money or, or my talent or whatever it is that, that, that I'm, I'm being prompted to give with. I'm going to try and go in a mass more and then give from that excess. You see, it's 
meeting the religious requirement without the heart being in the place where we really are giving out of our first and our fat. Is that making sense? There's a little more to it, too, because we also know that, that there must have been a difference in the way that Abel brought it, how he did it. It's not just what he brought. He did bring the right thing, and Cain didn't. But there's also a difference in, in how Abel brought it. Again, there's some reading between the lines and, and the rest of Cain's story in contrast to Abel's. But again, we're not focused on Cain today, but we see in Cain's story that his response to God stepping in was, hey, 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 wait a minute here. Like, why are you nosing in on my life? Okay? That Cain's heart was out of alignment from the beginning. And it was first expressed in the offering. People watching, people looking might have looked at it and said, like, mm, he did the right thing. But internally, something was off. And it just kept getting worse, right? It escalated. But there's also the rest of the scriptures that talk about this issue of, of sacrifice. And, and again, we, while we don't sacrifice in the same way in, in, in the, the, the First Testament, we, we do still sacrifice of ourselves. We, we give of, of what we have, of what God's given us. And there's a, there's a way to do it. Look at Psalm 51 in David's confession of his sin. And he says this, you, Lord, will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. He sinned and he said, I know that sacrifice doesn't clean my sin. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. Your sacrifice, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart of God you will not despise. See, what David say, David gets this. He goes like, I, I can't out-religion my sin. I can't, I can't go through the religious ritual in a way that just undoes my sin. There's a humility in the offering, a brokenness, a contrition about my life. I don't, I don't do this. I don't give so that I enter into a transactional relationship with God that because I did the religious thing he asked me to do, now my heart is made right by him. I, I'm, I go to him to ask him to make my heart right. And he says, here's where we meet each other. Here's how we encounter one another. The author of Hebrews, just a chapter before chapter 11, gets into this. And this, it can be a little bit of a, a mindful, mouthful, mindful. But look at this in, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5. It says this. It says, consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, so Christ said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. This is Jesus talking about his mission in, in light of the Father. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. As he's saying, like, this is Jesus acknowledging that all the sacrifices in the world are not going to complete what Jesus needed to do. Okay? But the scroll of the book was, again, what we would call the Old Testament, the prophetic word about Christ. He says, he says look, I, I didn't come into the world to make sacrifices. Keep reading verse 8, Hebrews 10. When he said above, when Jesus said, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to, to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. Okay, so Jesus does away with the old sacrifice system in order to establish obedience to what God has asked him to do. And by that, 
And by that will, by the will of God, we've been sanctified or we've been, we've been made right through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all because Jesus was faithful, because Jesus was obedient with what he was told to do, because Jesus took a position of, of humility in the mission, we now benefit from what he did for us. You follow this? So the religious practice isn't the point. The point is connection with the Father. It's about God's will. Will we do what he asks and offer what we have from our first? Jesus, Jesus is holding nothing back. He gives from his first, from his fat. <laughs> and so when we look at this story of faith in in the story of Abel. We see Abel as someone who just, again, along the way, look, next week we're going to talk about Noah. This is a very different story. God steps in and says, go do this completely irrational, illogical thing and build this big boat. Okay? That's a different story from this one. This one is just Abel in the course of time. This is just sort of a revelation of what was true in Abel's soul and his heart. He gave the right thing in the right way. Look at Hebrews 11 again, verse 4. And this is what it says about him. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And now look at this last phrase. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. So we talk about how faith is lived. How does Abel still speak today? How does Abel still speak to us? We're, we're talking here a little bit about legacy, right? What is the legacy of Abel? Each one of the people in Hebrews chapter 11 has a legacy. They, they, they left footprints as they walked with God that we can look back on and see how they walked and where they walked and what it was like. And legacy is a popular topic lately. If you've been paying attention, uh, from, from Hamilton to Game of Thrones, to everybody's talking about legacy, leaving one and the, the pitfalls of trying to build one. and Right? But the fascinating thing to me in the Abel story is that we have no indication that he was worried at all about a legacy. It was just in the course of time. I asked the teaching team if I should share this illustration, and they all were like, no. But I'm going to do it anyway. I, I love them. They're so helpful. They really are. I mean, when we meet together, it's fantastic. But I think you're going to get this. There's this thing that I do um, that soaks up a lot of my time. And it is that I am a golf coach, okay? Now, I know that's really impressive to everyone in the room. Um, it doesn't mean that I can teach people how to hit a golf ball. What it means is I can, I can get a van to a golf course and I can help players add, like, by threes, fours, and fives to get their score, right? Like, that's what I do. Um, but I do try to help a little bit when they're out there playing golf. And there's this fascinating thing in, in, in golf. It, I have seen, I've been doing this now for almost 20 years with, with young people, and there's this fascinating thing that happens, okay? And, and it's, it's when, um, let's just say a good score for a young golfer is going to be like 40 strokes on nine holes. Let's say that's a good number. 
okay? And let's just say, because this happens all the time, that we have golfers who regularly don't get as low as 40 strokes. If you don't know golf, like lower is better, okay? So they don't, they don't get 40, like they get more like 50, okay? And I have seen this, if I've seen it once, I've seen it 100 times. A young person has played eight holes, okay? And they are, and, and 40 strokes would be like four over par. And they're like two over par or three over par. They're about to shoot 40. And they stand there at the ninth tee and you can see the wheels are turning, right? And they're thinking about it. If I just par this hole, I'm gonna break 40. It's gonna happen. And I promise you, I have never seen them break 40. Because here's what happens. As soon as we start thinking about that outcome, they get like a nine on the next hole and they finish with a 45. It happens at almost, like it's almost universal. If they're, when they're not thinking about it, when the scorecard just kind of stays in the back pocket and they just go play the hole, they shoot 40. It's almost, it's almost, you know, again, there's exceptions that might, that would, you know, exceptions maybe that prove the rule. But like, here's the deal. And this is what, this is why I tell the story. As soon as that golfer starts doing the calculations and thinking about like the outcome and the end of the line and what's going to happen if, they've lost focus on the moment and they're thinking about everything else except what they ought to be focused on. In this, I believe that the more we focus on our legacy, the more we focus on how we're going to be remembered, the more we focus on those things, the less likely it is that we're, that we're going to be walking in faith in the moments. Because you know why? We're not driven, in those moments, we're not driven by what is God asking me to do and how can I say yes to it? We're driven by how will people remember me? Do you catch that difference? I think one of the fascinating things about this story is that just in the course of time, Abel did the right thing. Oh, no, it cost him. We're going to wrap up in a second with that, but it cost him. But the, but the issue of legacy, the issue of... I have a hypothesis that none of the people in Hebrews 11, and God knows their hearts, none of the people in Hebrews 11 were doing it so the author of Hebrews would write about them later on. Not a single one. Legacy was not their concern. How they were going to be remembered was not their concern. Their concern was, how can I say yes to to God in this instance, in this situation? Abel's concern that day was, what did God tell me to bring, and am I going to bring it or not? That was his concern. And it ought to be the same with us. Once we start worrying about how others are going to perceive this decision or will this decision live on beyond me, and again, we've left walking by faith and we've moved into walking by pride. It doesn't mean we don't concern ourselves with what's like with what goes on behind us, the Bible speaks about that, like, like giving to generations and going. But when the concern becomes not what's best for them, not what, what God has asked me to do for them, and it becomes what will they say about me when I'm gone, we've moved from faith into pride. And so I think Abel still speaks to us in that way. Just in the course of time, 
Bring the gift. Bring what God asked. Don't say no to God. Say yes when he asks. There's another, the name, Abel's name doesn't come up much in the scriptures besides the places we've already looked. But, but Jesus says this in verse 23. Jesus, in Matthew 23, sorry. In Matthew 23, Jesus is a little ticked. Okay, he's ticked at the religious folks of his day, who, by the way, very concerned with their legacy. Okay, very concerned with their legacy. And so Jesus says to them, Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify. This he's like foretelling. I'm, like, I'm sending you, and you're going to kill and crucify. You will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town. This is prophetic uttering of, for the early church from Jesus. So that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth. This is strong language. From the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, this um, Old Testament prophet, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Catch this, okay? Jesus is saying, like, look, there's an awful lot of murder that goes on in the name of God. There's an awful lot of killing that takes place in the name of religion. And it's not always done by the other guys in the other churches and the other, sometimes we do the killing. Sometimes we're the ones who murder. Oh, maybe not like actually taking their physical breath, but sometimes we take someone and we murder them with our words, we kill them in our soul. And I think what Jesus is saying here is that it doesn't go unnoticed and it doesn't go unpunished. When I was a young man, I've got this deep wound that for over 20 years now, God has been working on in me. Where I was in a church setting and I wasn't, I certainly know I wasn't perfect, but I was honestly just trying to serve. And someone came along and really beat me up really beat me up. And, and like the, the reverberations of that in my life went on for years and years and years, and I still feel it. But I didn't begin to heal from it until I actually acknowledged the truth, which is it's not mine to take back what was taken from me 25 years ago. It's not, I, I'm not the hand of judgment on that person. I, I I have to trust God's going to take care of it. And so, in another way, Abel still speaks for the, the abused, the hurting, particularly those who are abused and hurt in the name of God. That's a very real issue and matter of faith. What, how do we... How do we react and respond when we've been beat up in the name of God? We've been beat up in the name of religion and church, but without faith. The end of all things, Revelation 6, John has, in his revelation from God says, when he, when he opened the fifth seal, there's these seven seals that open, seven revelations. He says, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. 
When is God going to extract revenge? In the story of Abel and Cain, we see it immediately with Cain. When's he going to extract revenge on that guy who did that thing to me? I don't know. Maybe a little longer. When will it happen for you? I, I don't know. Maybe a little longer. But I promise you this. I promise you this. God, God will avenge, not us. So how did one, another way Abel still speaks. He speaks to us in our pain. He speaks to us in our hurt and tells us it's not ours to, to make right. But in one last way, I realize I'm running out of time here, but in one last way, the very next chapter, we've been in Hebrews 11, and we're going to be in Hebrews 11. But in Hebrews 12, this whole story kind of comes to fruition uh, that's in the book of Hebrews. And, and, and the author of Hebrews talks about, like, the saints gathering, and he says this, You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, that's, to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Catch this. The end of the story. Are we ready? Here's the beauty of it. How does Abel still speak? How does he still speak? Abel lost his life for doing the right thing. It was awful. He should, his life shouldn't have been taken from him. Obviously, it was wrong. Cain was wicked. But it was a hint of what was to come, right? It was a hint of what was to come. Because another one was coming who was right, who was righteous, whose life was going to be taken from him. And, and, and he was coming completely innocent. And his death, his blood spilled, speaks to all of us. Because the blood of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus, that undoes the sin. You see, the consequence for Cain, it, it went on and on. But the, 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 the consequence of our sin, like Cain's, it goes on and on. But the blood of Jesus covers it. The blood of Jesus doesn't lie in the grave, powerless. The blood of Jesus was new life. Three days later, he conquered it. So Abel, Abel still speaks in this way. Sin will go on. There will be injustice but there's also a Savior who gave his life for us so that the consequence, the power of sin, doesn't have to be true in our lives. And we enter it by faith. We move into it by faith in that Savior. We trust his sacrifice to make it right, not our own power. I'm going to call the band up. We have one more song. And as they come up, I want to pray. And as I'm, I'm praying today, I hope you hear us say today that, that it's the blood of Jesus is the thing that makes it all right. It's the blood of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus. And Jesus is the, the, the end of our faith. We believe in him. 
Would you pray with me? Lord, we're, um, I, I thank you today for the example of Abel. And, and at the same time, God, we recognize that, that the circumstances of Abel and the, the sin of Cain is a sin that goes on. Like, we, we still experience it. We live it. We, we, um, we experience death. And um, God, we um, we want to be people who who believe, who have we trust you. Would you help us? Would you help us to trust that that the work of Christ undoes the the killing? It undoes the murder. It it it, it undoes the slander. It undoes the the religious system, and allows us to to practice our faith, to live our faith when we walk with you. Would you show us a better way? Would you, would you point us towards yourself in places where we need to say yes, where we need to trust? And Lord, we, we give our lives to you and ask that you would, um, you would show us you would show us where to go, how to walk in, in the course of our time. And we pray all this. Thank you, Jesus, in your name.